You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is on principle, but it's not about standard Jewish education. This is the fun type of interview with my really great friend, my neighbor, uh, someone I respect so much for almost everything that he does, Mr. Jay Booksbaum. Jay, once again, I don't want to misstate it. Tell everybody your title in full. Executive Director of Marketing and Director of Wine Education for Royal Wine. And you're really, in many ways, the ambassador for Kedem Wines in terms of educating people like myself and others about not only the significance of of Kedem's history, but about all the other types of wines that Kedem sponsors and is involved in importing. Um, Really, you are... uh, you're much more than a company man. You are a product man. You're a believer and a lover of, of really what we know is considered in ancient cultures, the fruit of the gods. But in our culture, of course, is considered the most hush of a drink that we have. Every year we come to UJ uh, for insights, especially uh, around Pesach, when your mind is on wine. Let's talk a little bit about uh, something that you brought up to me yesterday. And, and let's steer to perhaps some uh, practical advice for this year uh, in terms of Pesach wines. Uh, you, you brought up to me something that you were excited about was uh, the availability in recent years of wine coming out of Spain being produced by uh, Jewish uh, vintners uh, in a place that they had not been active for over 500 years. So talk a little bit about your excitement and about that that product. You know, part of the uh, celebration of Pesach is the celebration of freedom, right? So um, I think it's in some ways it's appropriate. I mean, in in the late 1400s, late 15th century, the Jews were expelled from Spain, and some of them found their way across the globe, but the Cohen family ended up in Morocco, in Tunisia, Morocco, and only about, uh, I don't know, 30, 40, and they, tr- they they actually traced their roots back to Spain, and then they reconstituted themselves back, or they re-patriated themselves back into Spain, and they started a winery. So it's more than 500 years that, uh, now there's been, there's been, as you pointed out before we started this uh, interview, there are kosher wines made and have been made for many years, uh, probably 100 years or more in Spain, but not by a kosher family until the Cohen family came back. And what's, what's exciting about it is, is that they were originally Spanish. So, you know, you had all of that. Now, tying that in with Pesach, you know, you're talking about freedom, but, you know, they didn't have freedom back in the in the late 15th century. The Jews certainly didn't. Uh, and now, you know, it's the going back to their original land. Of course, everybody wants to end up in Eretz Yisrael, but and, and making wine for the Jewish community, not only in Spain, but throughout the world is something very exciting. But and I understand that that region, the Tarragona region, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly, is considered some of the uh, the most fertile and best agriculture for producing of, of the grapes and wine that, that experts believe are the top. And I also read something today that because of the topography of the area, 
normal machinery doesn't always work there. There's a lot of hand uh, work that needs to happen in order to get that done. So this is not such a simple, although it's a beautiful and, and great place in terms of the land, the process is obviously complex and it, it takes a lot of effort for the, the Cohens and anyone making wine there, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, there is a lot of machine harvesting, but understand, imagine taking a cluster of grapes by hand, picking it literally by hand off the, of course, they do it much faster than that. People have experienced that, but picking it by hand, instead of having some machine grabbing it, you, you actually damage the fruit. Now the machines are getting better and better at it, but it's much more uh, detailed when you take it by hand. And as a result, the whole fruit that ends up in your uh, grape juice that's made into wine is much more better, finer, not damaged. So, but it takes a lot more money, a lot more effort, a lot more resources. And then you have, and this is from the halachic point of view, then you have, you know, while the it's okay to harvest grapes by non-Jews, it's not okay for non-Jews to put it into the crusher and to have it pressed, etc. So you have to have a whole crew of Orthodox observant Jews come to the winery once the grapes are chosen Right, and it's not exactly. As I looked up on a map today, it's not exactly near the centers of Jewish life. It's uh, about a uh, hundred and so kilometers away from Barcelona. So they have to bring a team out there. And I also read something interesting, Jay, that that often the prime period in Tarragona for harvesting the grapes comes around the Yom Tovin, comes in September, where where you have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, and other days that preclude working out in the field. So there really is a, a, a lot of hoops that you need to jump through. It, it's not that. You have to understand that if you want to make great wine, you want to do it when the grapes are perfectly ripe. So sometimes that can be days apart. And I've heard legend about uh, some of the mashkichim literally pitching tents in the vineyards before and after Yantif, you know, during Chalamoid, making makeshift sukkahs, etc., so they can eat during the harvest time uh, at the winery, especially. So, yes, it's a very big challenge. By the way, we have, and last night you were there, we have with us, uh, we had with us last night Rev Zekbach, who gives the hashkacha for many. Uh, of the European wines, all of the French wines, pretty much. And he gave a whole sheer on how difficult and how challenging that is. Remember, making kosher wine is not like kosher food where it's all ingredients-based, and as long as they have the ingredients correct, it's no problem. Here, literally the handling of almost every step of the way from the crushing of the grape until the sealing of the bottle has to be handled by a, a Shomer Shabbos crew, and so it's it's a very big challenge. So, Jay, I've talked to you often about how one gains expertise in understanding what's considered a good wine, a great wine, an outstanding wine. Could you, in, in your terms, explain why these Spanish wines, uh, that they're going, which, which, has been, which are being produced it, it, with such great Messiras Nefesh, what makes them great other than the fact just see if you can describe it for us laymen. What is so special about the, the wine? 
So if you take the new world, the new world means of, of wine, new, new world means America, Latin America, you know, South America, New Zealand, all those places, they've been making wine for about a hundred years. Okay. Maybe 150 years. Okay. Spain has been making wine for a thousand years. So they know the terroir, meaning the place that grows the best type of grapes in the best spot. So after 600 years or a thousand years of, of growing grapes, they, they can know that Tempranillo on this slope, in this format, etc., will produce the best fruit. And just like you want to have a good steak, you have to start with good raw material. The same thing is with that. So when you go to the old world, which is France, Italy, Spain, as examples, and you go to those places that have been making wine for so many years, and you go to those vineyards where they can produce the best raw materials, that's uh, that's the biggest. In other words, if somebody would taste a bottle of this of this wine and compare it even to something from the Napa Valley or something from the the valleys in Eretz Yisrael, one could tell the superior quality of the fruit from the Spanish wine. You could you could taste it in the wine. Often, yes. I mean, that's not to say, and I, I you know, we're not, not trying to diss Eretz Yisrael. I know. I'm just saying, or, or California. They're making magnificent wines in California. Mm-hmm. And they've accelerated the process of learning the terroir, you know, the place and the way it's grown better, you know, faster and quicker than most places in the world. But you can't, you can't discount a thousand years of experience with so, so, 200 so or 300. You pardon the flippant comparison, but it's sort of different than tobacco or marijuana, where you, you can take the plant and take it across the ocean and that weed or that uh, that, that tobacco is just as good as it is anywhere else. When it comes to the, I, I guess, the fragility aspect of a, of a grape, that doesn't transfer so easy. I think Rothschild himself discovered this, you know, even though he was an incredible Zionist and he wanted to build Eretz Yisrael and Zichron Yaakov, I, I, we all know that the, the quality, despite all his efforts and money, never really matched what was going on in France. And the, and, and just, it was just, the terrain was so dissimilar. As you say, there's something in the earth itself that, that, that means that. The simplistic way to think about it, very simplistic way to think about it is oranges. Where do oranges grow best? Florida, right? Try to grow oranges of quality, of Florida quality in New Jersey. Won't happen because New Jersey just doesn't have the air, the heat, the sunshine, it just doesn't have the same. Now, that's a very simplistic perspective. But if you're going down to detail of the finest wine, even a certain hill will have an effect on the final quality of, of and, and of course, once you, once you talk about uh, transferring the grapes, let's say, from the Tarragona area of Spain, that already ruins it because it needs to be processed almost immediately from the picking. You can't put it into a, a, a truck and ship it over, uh, over to another country. There's another simplistic uh, example that I like to give exactly along the lines of what you just spoke. You know, I remember as a kid, our parents took us apple picking. And we'd pick an apple off the tree and bite into it. It was the most delicious apple. 
Now, a lot of people thought that, oh, that's because of your perception. But the truth is, it's not just a perception. When you take an apple right off the tree and it's fresh and it's got that liveliness to it, it's a lot different than when you get it from the supermarket two weeks later, even if it's perfect because of the genetic, you know, changes that they that they grew apples with. It's not as good as fresh off the tree or corn or whatever. You understand? So you're right. According to, you know, yes, the, the objective is, in fact, in California, they did something brand new. They, they, they have a new technique, new, it's already 50 years old, that they invented, which is a field crusher. So what they do is they harvest the grapes and they put it into, we don't do it in kosher wineries, but they put it into a crusher that's attached to where they, they actually harvest the grapes. So the grapes are crushed immediately. It doesn't even take the hour to get to the winery. Now, I don't know if that's so much of a difference, but but you're right. The idea that you have to get it to the hopper and to the crush quickly is very important. I mean, we see this, of course. I mean, as someone who's been learning Azroyim uh, and Yerushalmi, and we've had it, I sort of feel a little bit closer to the ancient way of, of producing various types of wines and processing fruits. Jay, so th- this this wine, these Spanish wines from LV, I think LV is the name of the, the company, right? We want to get something special, let's say, for Pesach. What would be the cost of, a, of, of one of these decent, uh, like a middle of the road of the LV wine for if somebody wants it for his sake? What's beautiful about LV is that they have a wide variety of wines from, you know, about 10 bucks. And I'll tell you what that is in a moment, all the way to about 150 bucks. Uh, so they have a wine called Clomasora, which and L26, EL26, both of which come from very special vineyards, from very low yield, very tiny amount of grapes you can get from each acre, from each square meter, whatever. And those wines are very expensive, but also very intense, very rich, very full flavored. Clomasora. Then in the middle, you have LV Crianza and Rioja, which range in price for anywhere from about, uh, you know, 20 bucks to about 45, 50 bucks. Then you have LV Vina and Sina, which is, you know, um, about $15. And then they just came out. They had it for many years, but it wasn't kosher for Pesach. They just came out with uh, Sangria, which is about 10 bucks. And the beauty of that is, it's 100% uh, kosher for arvakosos, according to the Rabbanan that gives the hashkacha on it, even though it has fresh fruit infusion of, you know, flavors and, and semi-off-dried flavors, and it's inexpensive, and it's also accessible to those people who don't like dry wine. So you have the whole gamut from the LV family and the Cohen family. Because the way we were talking before, I was scared that perhaps uh, all the wines would be prohibitive. One of the things I think I mentioned to you uh, in one of our previous discussions was that what I would like to see is because of the fact that, and I'm sure it's already happening, but I, don't, I just don't see too much of it, smaller bottles. We know that according to many shitas, the shita of Aravias is only about in between two and a half and three ounces. So... If you have to drink four cups, let's say it's not Shabbos, like this year won't be Shabbos. So you have four cases of wine. So if you can get a, a cup that's about a three-ounce cup, that's only 12 ounces. 
uh, you could easily, if you are a wine, probably, and the bottles come in, in, in a, 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 what is the standard? It's a, it's a three quarter of a, it's a liter bottle usually, right? It's a 750 ml. About 25, 24.5 ounces. Right. So if we would, considering that the average four cups is a half that amount, a person could conceivably have that top of the line Spanish wine, just make the cut the bottle in half, and it would be quite inexpensive. And uh, everybody could have their own bottle. I'm not. I'm not sure why is there. It, it's change. Change comes pretty hard to your company, to your business, doesn't it? Like for people, for people to start bottling half bottle sizes, it isn't that popular, is it? There is. There is plenty of wine now that. But you're right. It isn't that popular. But we we've worked on it. And there's probably 30, 40 at least wines that are dry and semi-dry that are in half bottles now. From France, from California, from Italy. Yeah. Today you're pitching the you're pitching LV today, though. Today you're pitching LV, although you could pitch a lot of different ones, I know, and you don't have necessarily a favorite. Jay, before we talk about uh, another issue that we were talking about yesterday, when I was reading these articles about the Spanish winemakers, I, I was surprised that you have, uh, there, there's a, a expertise of, there's a, a viticulturist who knows how to produce grapes, and then there's a enologist who knows how to develop and create wine. So, so I'm thinking, you know, we've talked last time about how you got involved in this, and people can listen to that program. It's on our podcast site. Do you ever think that, you know, I know that, that this is like the type of thing that you would want to study for and, and actually get a degree in as a, as a knowledgeist, or maybe if you could go back, like, like it seems like there's, a, I, I saw online, there's about 15 or 20 universities in the United States that offer a higher degree in that. It's, it's quite, quite impressive, right? There is a course I took that I passed called the WSET, Wine and Spirits Education Trust, which anybody can access. It's not an easy course. I got level two and I got, I just got below distinction. Uh, and then I took the level three course. I have not taken the exam yet. So you're on your way to be almost an enologist. You're almost on your way. Right? An enologist really is more of a hands-on thing. I would love to do it one summer or one harvest just for fun. But you know me, I like to be out there with the people. Not not stuck in the winery. Not stuck with the veg with the, with the vegetation. Jay, let's let, let's let's end today with um, something which is unfortunately on everybody's mind, which is uh, whatever the cause. We know that prices we're paying this Pesach are, in many ways, three or four times what they were last year. I'm just talking about eggs right now, um, but we know it's across the board, and, and people have seen it. There's shortages. Talk a little bit of how, you know, if, if a person of, of average means, of a middle income, is thinking about making changes, are, are, what can they do if they are used to drinking fine wine on Pesach? Talk about a little bit about the price bumps and, and, and how they can navigate it for this year. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We just had an, uh, a Zoom meeting with Barkat, arguably the largest winery in Israel. That in Carmel, it depends who you talk to. But 
they were talking about the fact that the cost of bottles, forget about the grapes, forget about production, forget about corks, forget about labels, just the cost of bottles doubled. So, you know, while while eggs may have gone up three or four times, wine as a general rule has only risen about somewhere between, depending on the winery and the wine, somewhere between 5 and 25%. So it hasn't been enormous. Now, but I will say one of the best values of wine, fine wines, does come from Spain and California. European wines from France have gone up. Israeli wines have climbed tremendously. One of the reasons for that is also because of the strength of the shekel, although lately it's gone, it's declined a bit against the dollar. Also, one of the problems, and that's why California wines represent a good value, is because shipping. There was a time until about a month ago when shipping from Israel had quadrupled in cost per container. So if you, if you distill that to per case or per bottle, it could add two, three bottles, I'm sorry, two, three, four, five dollars just for the cost of shipping. So those are some of the reasons and some of the challenges. But I would suggest that people look at Spanish wines, people look at California wines, and people look at the entry level Israeli wines, which also haven't, you know, have risen, but only about 10, 12 percent. But their quality has gone up tremendously. So those are the areas that you should be looking at. You know, no, we don't want to take Parnos away from anyone. But I think an, another thing that you remarked to me in a previous conversation was that the uptick in price was even for, let's say, Kedem or others to import the wine. And then you have to pay the, the middleman, right? If you're going to your local kosher wine store, is, is there ordering online or ordering from uh, from from a some other site a way to perhaps cut the cost down what do you think that's a great and a very important question to to clarify for your listeners this country unlike almost any other country that makes wine has what we call the three-tier system by law so I get calls all the time from friends and family Jay can't you get me the wine directly? The answer is if they do, if I do, they'll put me in jail. I can only sell, as importer, we can only sell to a distributor. The distributor is not allowed to sell to a consumer. He must sell to a licensed retailer. And the retailer is the only one who could sell it to the consumer. So there's an artificial tax, even though the tax on wine and spirits here is relatively small, especially wine. But there is an artificial tax because of this legal three-tier system that we must follow? So the answer is yes, you can buy it online, but those online guys are retailers the same. So it will mitigate perhaps because they do volume or because they're more aggressive, it might mitigate the price a little bit. But it's not like you're buying from the manufacturer, buying from the ultimate importer. So even though you're, you're just importing some of these European wines, you're the official importer representing the agent in Spain the producer in Spain, and then you have to sell it to a you have to sell it to a retailer. No, I can't sell it to a retailer. I have to sell it to a distributor, and then it sells it to the retailer, and then the retailer sells it to the consumer. And each one of them has to make some profit. 
to make a living. And that's what that's where you have this artificial kind of tax because of the laws that we are governed by in this country regarding the sale of wine and spirits. Well, hopefully, Jay, the um, people will recognize that they should be prudent. Uh, We talked last time about how so much of this wine goes to waste, unfortunately, on people who don't appreciate it. And as you always say, what tastes good for you, that's where you should be after. And uh, as my father used to say, don't necessarily try to be larger than your, uh, than your education and, 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 and in terms of what you know of their quality. And of course, this way, you know, you can spend within your budget and still appreciate and enjoy the wonderful experience that we know it is, Jay, of, of, of sitting at, at, at the Seder being able to hold that kais in your hand and, and feel, as you said, the, the real sense of chayrus, the sense of, of malchus, the sense of being a ben, a ben melech. I know that uh, I, I only live across the street, so I can always come by and, 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 and get a little bit of your shirai of, of, of that top-of-the-line stuff whenever, whenever it's available. All right, Jay, thanks a lot. We will hopefully uh, we'll catch you hopes, hopefully again soon <laughs> in a way where in always good spirits with you. Thanks a lot, Jay, for your time. Be well. Thank you, Rabbi. Kasher and Pesach to you all. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 